I am Jamie Langsgove. I am joined by my co-host, Laura Holmes. And Hello. this is what I think is going to become, instead of the community and podcast, it's going to become the community unlocked podcast. Mm, yes. So just thinking more about how do we get more people feeling and being successful with community. Uh, and also, I'm kind of a, a domain collector. <laughs> <laughs> and every once in a while, I go in and uh, check and see if there's cool domains that I can grab hold of, you know, because I have all these future projects that someday, someday I'll do something with them, right? You're just prepared. You'll be extra prepared when those days come. And I do really like Community Unlocked. I think it's a good change. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. And uh, hopefully all of you in the audience are a fan as well. So, uh, Laura, how was your weekend? It was good. It was full. We had uh, some dear friends from Philly, which where my husband and I lived in Philly for quite a bit of time, uh, in town. So that's always nice. And I'm trying to think what I honestly, I feel like the how was your weekend question always gets me because I know it's like we've just transitioned into Monday, but I'm like, what did we do? Where am I? Who am you know, like I, I'm always a little bit um, ill prepared for it. But the short, it was a good weekend. What about you? Good, good. Yeah. I mean, I struggle with it also a little bit because uh, being on the spectrum and uh, having to very consciously navigate a lot of social situations, it's always been a question for me that's like, mm. do you actually want to know? Or are you asking just to be polite? Like, how deep do I go on this question? <laughs> no, I think that's totally fair. I think we have like so many social norms as a society where we ask like, how are you? Or how was your weekend? And I, I think it really is hard to tell who actually wants an honest response to that. Because not everyone does. You know, yeah. when someone says, how are you? They expect like, oh, I'm fine. You know, but if you were like, well, actually, it was a really rough. I'm not great. Like some people are just going to be like, oh, my gosh, I was not prepared for that. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sure being on the spectrum, that's especially hard to navigate. But I think as a society, we <clears throat> don't have really clear cues because we ask these questions. And a lot of times we don't really want to know, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think also, so I am uh, full context for everybody today. I am actually traveling. I am calling from the basement of my in-laws house <laughs> making it work yeah yeah um and i am here to attend a celebration of life for my husband's grandmother who dear lady uh finally succumbed to cancer and um you know she will be very missed we're gonna have a big gathering today and a service and all the things but um, I wanted to make sure, one, that we we get together today, but also just talking about like things are hard right now. The world yeah. is hard right now. And I think we all deal with loss in different ways. And so just making sure that we're showing up for each other and giving each other grace as we navigate, you know, loss in all the forms that feeling people are feeling it right now, whether it's, you know, personal, uh, you know, losing someone, losing your income because your job went away, losing uh, faith in humanity, you know, <laughs> where, yeah. wherever you're at today, I hope that you give yourself and, uh, and everyone around you a little bit of grace. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I appreciate you joining this morning, given all that I know you have going on. It is nice to connect and sending a lot of love to you and your family. I hope it's a beautiful celebration for your Thank you. husband's Thank you. grandma. So yeah, yeah, I think it'll be good. And, you know, I, for those of you who know me, I have, I have a few kids running around uh, and <laughs> my five-year-old in particular is super excited because she gets to see her cousins who live in Texas and, you know, we don't get to see them very often. And so it, it really truly is a celebration in the sense that we're we're bringing together all these people who are from all around the world and so i think as we move forward 
you know, as a society, it's really good for us to just try to remember that there we're all humans around us and, and yeah. most people mean well. And um, anyway, I, I hate always starting the show on a downer. Like I feel like <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of what's been going on lately, I'm like, oh, well, what's in the news today? Oh, something else is burning or, you know, yeah, I know somewhere else. Well, I think that's the unfortunate reality. You know, there's the necessarily kind of acknowledgement of what is real and true. And a lot of what is real and true is often hard and, you know, not necessarily the most uplifting, but it is what's happening. So no apologies. It's all good. It's necessary (laughs) to bring up. On a lighter note, though, I did... If you're go down this tangent oh, with ready. me, okay, yeah. we can switch gears because I know everyone is just on pins and needles about my pottery. I was going to um, ask. I want to see it. Do we have? Do we have? A I, pot? Did. I did. I did. I, I brought it. I brought it. This was my first one. Um, the first one I made that like has gone all the way through the process. So it's not great, but it is a bowl. <gasps> I love see? it. Yes. I, for all those who just listen. I would try and describe it, but I don't think I'd give a good visual. So just know that it is a smallish bowl that you could maybe serve nuts in and it looks <laughs> like a bowl. <laughs> I, you know, I had lower, the bar was low. Yo, okay? all right. It's like low expectations. It's going to be awesome and, you know, crafty and ridiculous. Wonderfully weird. And yeah. no, this, this is very much a <laughs> uh, world market. Okay. Oh, this, this oh is that's like high praise. Market uh style it's for those listening it is like gray and and it is smooth on the inside which i'm super impressed by because i definitely would have like one of those janky like thank you (laughs) it it is so hard i mean i'm getting better i um have a few more classes in this session left and then i signed up again because i kind of got the bug but yeah yeah this one where it started it had a whole side that was much higher than the other side and my very sweet teacher was very kind. I was like, you can, you can fix that. Don't worry. It'll be fine. And she showed me how to like shave it down. And anyway, I'm learning a lot. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And um, I just knew everyone would be riveted by my bowl content. I love it. I love it. It feels like it, it finally came <laughs> full circle. Oh, nice. <laughs> Way to work that in there. Mm-hmm. My pun game is strong this morning. I do. I so, do like a good pun. Um. <clears throat> I think that, uh, I I don't know, I I feel very metaphorical about this bowl, right? We've been on this journey together and (laughs) uh, I'm living vicariously through your exploration of of pottery. So firstly, what got you into this? What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to go and throw some clay? (laughs) Well, you're right. It's a fair question. Um, I'm a really uh, creative person, but I don't often have a lot of outlets for that expression. You know, I've been in a very professional setting for a long time, um, navigating being a mom, a wife, my own person. And so I didn't really have a consistent outlet for that. And I really like using my hands and it just seemed... I don't know, like something I would be curious about. I had taken a couple hand building classes or not using the wheel and I really enjoyed those. So I was like, well, let's try, try the wheel. I I don't know if that's leveling up or not because hand building, I don't want to discount that. But anyway, it was just a a curiosity I had that I think would have, would allow me to tap into my creative self a little bit more. I love that. Um, My husband and I were talking this weekend about how neither of us really gets to do our hobbies anymore. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, my kids are my hobbies now, but I would like to get back to a point where I get to have right. some outlet of my own too. So um, I found that. So I like to paint, especially. Ah, because, okay. Like, my paintings are not especially good, but I oh. like the, I like the, um, just the medium. I like the way that it yeah. moves and, and, you know, the flow of it. And it's very, organic and so I think uh hopefully someday I'll get back to that but it's so much work to like set up and clean up and all that so I is know it, I get that you get to go to a studio I assume that's so, right yeah. <laughs> yeah oh gosh no I don't have all this equipment in my in my house I, so I go somewhere and it is messy and it is time and I think having a class where it's like a you know a very specific time is helpful from like an accountability perspective because it is very easy 
to be like, I, I can't carve that out or I don't have the time or the mental bandwidth or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope you find, you know, your way back to painting, even if a little bit. And I think that's the, you, you know, when you're ready, you bring a painting to share because okay. Okay. you've seen my bowl. Okay. So I think I would love to see a painting. That sounds good. Um, all right. So speaking of all of this talk about learning and, and being oh, yes. involved. That actually, that actually went really right. That was good. <laughs> I'm going to make this very, uh, very smooth transition into mm -hmm. uh, giving Nicely a done. teaser about our guest. Uh, so Chris Grees is the learning product manager over at Cisco. And I wanted to, I've, I've developed this uh, burning itch, this bug in my mind of um, how does learning and community integrate together? And I think this mm. is something that community builders have an intuition that it works. And of course, you know, we, you, you know, if you want to have uh, people find your community, you should put out uh, like self-service or self-paced learning stuff or guides or or content or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it should go deeper than that. And so I'm super excited to have Chris on. Um, and, you know, thinking about how do we bring together those things in a much more intentional way and both from both sides, right? If you're a learning mm -hmm. person and you are building out educational content, how do you bring in uh, the community and the peer collaboration to kind of make that stuff stick. So I'm super yeah. excited to this chat with Chris. Be great. Uh, I think before we jump into that, though, I would love to do a little promo for you, Laura. So uh, oh. Laura is looking for uh, coaching clients. So she is amazing. She has this fantastic background in uh, onboarding and uh, implementation on the professional services side, but also she is a leadership executive management coach. And uh, I'll, I'll hand it to you because you're probably going to do a better job of introducing oh, no. things you're looking for than I am, but um, would really love to get Laura some uh, visibility here and and hopefully oh. you'll see how amazing she is and and well, thank Just you, nice Jamie. You're very kind. Uh, thank you. Yes. So I'll back up a little bit. I'll try not to make this too long, but it, I started my career in HR. So I led HR teams um, for Target actually and did that and then switched gears to actually HR tech. And that's where I spent the good majority of my professional career um, for over 10 years and then did some health tech. So kind of always hovering around that HR space. And so it's kind of, I've taken, I've gotten kind of back to that a little bit and that I really am passionate about people. And I know that's probably an overstated uh, comment these days, but I genuinely feel that way. I'm very much kind of a people first leader. I don't know how to do it differently, but that got me thinking about, you know, a lot of organizations really struggle, I think, to support people in leadership roles, particularly new leaders um, or kind of, you know, frontline managers, right? There's maybe a quick training or, you know, the great topic of learning, right? There's some learnings that you can take, but there isn't often like a hands-on component to support that. And so I feel very strongly about trying to help organizations and or individuals who seek me out to really understand what it means to be a leader. It's a whole different skill set and group of muscles that if not, you know, if you don't train just like you train your body to run a marathon, like it's really, you don't know how to use them. And so I, I really feel strongly about supporting individuals who are on that journey of leadership. And to me, that has a potential impact to ripple out because the people who are on their team are then in an engaging culture where they feel supported by their leader. Their leader feels good about the work they're doing and the culture they're fostering. And then the person within that team who eventually gets promoted and wants to be a leader treats their team in that way and then et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of potential impact there. 
I think a lot of organizations have a lot of work to do in that realm. And uh, I really hope to help them out. So I don't know that that was short. No, or... but that was very, that was really good. <laughs> so it, it, it really makes me think about when I was at MongoDB, we had a very robust uh, manager training. Uh, yep. It was a leadership training type course. And it was crazy because one of the things that I was thinking as I was going through it was one, I didn't get put into the course until six months into being a manager. That's often the case. Yep. And yes, it was helpful, but it wasn't a lot of stuff that actually I didn't already know. And so it was like, well, yes, I know these things, but I don't think that managers don't actually know. I think right. that you're right. I think that they need more support. They need the coaching. They need a mentor. And so I think that what you're doing is really incredible. So thank you. If y'all are looking to get some support for your managers, whether they are new managers, whether they are executives, somebody who wants to become a better leader and a better team leader, um, please uh, reach out to Laura. Where? Oh, you can just, I would say on LinkedIn right now, that's probably the easiest way to find me for folks who are listening. Because I'm, I'm building out my website and uh, things like that. So, and if in doubt, you can always go through Chaotic Good Consulting and Jamie and she'll get yes. to So you can reach out to us at contact at chaoticgoodconsulting.com and I will put you in touch with Laura. Um, but with that in mind, we are going to bring on our guest. Uh, again, he is a learning manager out of, or I'm sorry, learning product manager. He has been in the learning and development field for most of his career. He is focused on combining learning solutions and community to bring out the best in people. And he is now the learning product manager at Cisco Meraki. And he owns the learning solution roadmap for building out the Meraki Learning Hub. So I'm super excited to bring him on. This is Chris Skies. Let's welcome him on to the show. Hi, Chris. Hello. Hey, hey Laura. Good to see you all. Yeah, it's so great to have you on. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Uh, super excited to hear more about what you're doing at Cisco. Um, I would love if you would start by just kind of giving us a quick rundown. Like, you've been there for a little bit now, and you, what is your scope? What are the things you're focused on uh, in your day job? And we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, I spent uh, more than a decade at a learning consulting company. So I come from that background, working with lots of different clients and lots of different industries. Um, and I joined Cisco about two years ago. Um, and Cisco Meraki is a business unit within Cisco that really focuses on driving cloud networking. So like helping customers transform their on-premises networks and manage those through the cloud. So very much like future oriented and moving from, you know, a hardware model to a software model, right, of offering a dashboard and products where you can manage them online through through kind of a software as a service uh, offering. So I'm within our product enablement team. So we roll up to the product org. So basically we think about how we can enable uh, users from a product perspective. So essentially we put out a community site, we have learning, we have in-person uh, instructor-led training, we have online learning modules, really to like support our end users and really drive value for them. So how to use the products, um, how to find all the features and tools and use cases that might be interesting to them, um, and how to like partner with the business to drive uh, the results they're looking for. So what are their priorities and how can we support that through community and learning? So yeah, so I guess on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I own our product roadmap. So I'm looking at, you know, at any given time, we have several different teams working on different kinds of projects. How do they all fit together? Like, what are our goals? What should be prioritized next? Um, and how should we think about success, right? So what does a successful project look like? And, you know, how will we see that? That's really interesting. So when I saw your title, and I think this is important for the community folks who are listening, when I saw your title, I was thinking, oh, product manager. So he is specifically focused on developing the product, but it sounds like you're playing very much a, a bridge role between the community of end users and your product team. 
do you own an actual learning product or is it primarily the function of learning to use the product? I just want to be super clear for everybody who's listening. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it's thinking about our learning solution, which uh, is part of our community. So we have the Meraki okay. community, right? And then within that, we have the learning hub. And I would say that that learning hub site is the product, right? And so thinking about how we offer solutions through the learning hub as a product, you know, so not just a project, right, that has an end date, and then we move on to the next thing. But how do we continue to, to know our learners, know our users, like continue to offer them value in an ongoing way and like improve and get better over time. So I think of that learning hub as the learning product and the learning solutions that we offer through that hub. I'm really focused on content and solutions. And then we have other teams that are more focused on like user experience, usability, design, things like that. That's really interesting. And I, I think the other point that I want to ask on specifically around that is how then are you measuring success for yourself? So, you know, what are the metrics that you're held accountable for? Mm -hmm. Because a typical product manager might be looking specifically at anything from revenue to adoption, you know, or feature adoption, you know, specific things within the product itself. How do you measure success for yourself? <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think for measuring success, I'm, I'm really mostly aligned with our, you know, business level OKRs and particularly our department level OKRs. So we do have specific goals, uh, mostly around like reach and impact. So so how many people are we reaching? And then, you know, what is their experience like and how does the how does the learning impact their experience? So we have those kind of department level OKRs. So I'm constantly looking at those and thinking through that lens as we're thinking about, OK, how can we reach more people? Um, how can we give people a better experience? How can we satisfy their needs? Um, so yeah, we have a lot of different products and some people are new to this, like cloud networking is kind of this newer, uh, you know, emerging field that's been, you know, really coming, coming out in the last five to 10 years. So some people are new to this and we really want to be able to drive and show value of, you know, when you move from an on-premises to something you're, you're like physically managing, like in a server closet, uh, in a, you know, in a room, in an office versus something you're managing in the cloud, it opens up all these possibilities. So I really think about that and think about how can we, you know, help drive those outcomes. I love that. So my background, uh, having been at SAP for almost seven years, I can definitely understand the challenge between the on-premise and the mm. cloud solution. Uh, and one of the things that we came across, or I'm assuming that they still have struggles with, are you have those customers who are very hesitant to make that change mm -hmm. for various reasons, mm -hmm. whether it's security or, uh, you know, they've already invested in the infrastructure, what have you. So what do you do to help them? And I guess the first question there would be, you know, who is your primary audience in your community? Is it the, you know, system administrators who are trying to make the, the changes technically happen? Is it somebody who's trying to push it from a business perspective? How do you dig into that, that headspace? Yeah, I would say it's primary technical end users. It's mostly people who are in the dashboard every day, either de deploying networks or, you know, operating and troubleshooting networks. Um, yeah, when you when you think about like moving to the cloud, so much has changed, right? Even the last five years, but even in, in the last 10 years, you know, so many people are now distributed, right? So your employees are spread out. They're all over the place. So the data is going everywhere. And then less and less, you know, are things stored in your local data center, but you have all these applications and everything else is stored in the cloud, right? So the people are distributed everywhere. The data is distributed everywhere. So like, well, how does a modern network adapt to that? And so I think, you know, we have a great documentation site that is a different team. And so they're really focused on the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, how can I do this task, right, step by step. And I think a lot of what we want to offer is more of those use cases, right? Like, what is the reason to use this product versus that product? Or, you know, how would this look from on-prem to the cloud? Like, what would be the differences? And really, like, kind of looking at that bigger picture. And so some of that does appeal to, like, team leads, network architects, people who are making purchasing decisions about Meraki. But... Kind of our bread and butter, and I would say probably 70-80% of our users are probably, you know, dashboard, uh, dashboard users in there every day just trying to understand how to get value, like where to, you know, find the newest features, how to use those, and, and what are the right use cases to think about. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Gregory said in the in the comments, you know, his company just completed 18 interviews with IT and cybersecurity folks in the executive suite. And the overwhelming majority said that companies are still thinking about moving on-prem servers to the cloud. Oh, companies that are still thinking about moving on-prem services to the cloud have already missed the boat that set sail five years ago. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, that, yeah, that resonates. But I think that yeah. there are people like, you know, my brother works for a major defense company. Mm -hmm. and there yeah. are just industries and companies that are much more conservative with adopting new technology for yeah. legitimate reasons, right? Yeah. So how do you go about... Uh, kind of understanding where they are today and helping them kind of move past those objections because i assume and and correct me if i'm wrong from a learning perspective right you're you're probably starting with here's where you are here's where we need to get you to right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um how do you assess that do you do you go talk to them do you what are what are your tactics that you can share with the folks yeah yeah i mean you know a lot of companies are on this cloud journey i mean it's not you know, either or binary, like, you know, they're, they're on this kind of transformation journey, right? And so there are sectors and especially segmentations to smaller businesses who are just a little bit behind and that's, that's okay, right? But it's trying to understand where they're at and then helping them take that next step, right? And so we try to break it down on like, what are the steps on this journey? Because if you look at just the endpoint, the destination, it can be overwhelming, right? Of like, that is so much to do. So we kind of just like meet them where they are, right? And then say, okay, what's the next step you could take, right? Like for some people, maybe that's just moving your, your wireless access, like your APs into the cloud, right? Because then you can manage your wireless through there. You can keep your, you know, your, your servers, your switches on, on site and, and just take that step. And you can say, okay, now I'm, I'm dipping my toe into cloud management. I have all this additional visibility and data into my network. I have all this, this data on my endpoint users, right? And what their service levels are like, this is great. And then kind of the great thing about Meraki is, well, okay, the more devices you add to the cloud, like the more that data, you know, kind of comes to life and adds this richness of different dimensions. So as you build out your network in the cloud, like all these different components come to life and you can see this in a more, you know, three-dimensional kind of space. And so it's it's just about taking those next steps. Like, so we, we do offer kind of like entry-level kind of like Meraki platform fundamentals, right? Which is, here's what Meraki is, here's what we do. But then we, we go through all of our products and kind of introduce those as well. So if you're new to certain products and then it, we get into more advanced concepts of deploying networks, you know, standing up switching stacks, moving into to wireless AP and security and SD-WAN and then going deeper right into operations and troubleshooting. So we try to have these kind of like the spectrum of offerings. So no matter, you know, where someone is on that journey, we have something that can appeal to them and like help them just take that next step. I love that. Laura, I know that probably resonates with you too, as you're doing any sort of coaching or guidance for somebody who's trying to go from, from A to B, right? And figuring out where are you on this journey? Let's map that out. Are there any tools that you use that, uh, that might resonate with folks who are thinking about doing this kind of work where they're helping a group move from, or, or even an individual if they're a manager? Yeah, absolutely. And it also reminds me, so I spent a lot of my career, Chris, at Cornerstone and, you know, SaaS company and did a lot of learning um, kind of transformations for organizations and things like that. But I love the language Chris used about meeting your customers where they're at. I think any sort of transition and then implementing this new product or process, there can be a lot of overwhelm. And so I think helping people understand you don't have to get to 100% out of the gate, right? You can take incremental steps towards your desired change. And that change might be one year, two years down the road, but you do it in smaller pieces. So you yourself gain comfort or your team or what have you. And then your end users are comfortable because another challenge is too, if you try and if you try and go for a hundred, you try and swing for the fences and like, we're going to do it all. Well, then your end user experience, they can be, now they're overwhelmed, right? That overwhelm has transferred to them. And so I think the meeting people where they are is great advice and just understanding that incremental progress is still progress and not having to push yourself or your teams to check all the boxes right away is really important. So if that yeah. answers your question. <laughs> no, yeah, it does. And, and I think that, uh, Chris, what you mentioned about having 
different phases of that journey is really important because I think that whether you're doing product learning, you're doing onboarding, you're doing anything like that, you have to recognize that people are not necessarily coming in at the same spot, right? You have different on-ramps, you have different points of entry. And especially when we're talking technology, there are people who have different levels of understanding of the, the baseline technology, whether it's a programming language or infrastructure, hardware, whatever it is, the networking uh, specifics of moving from a system that they already understand into something that's entirely new. I think it's really important to think through that. Um, So Chris, where you are, I think is also really unique because you spend a lot of time thinking about the product, thinking about the roadmap, thinking about how to communicate back and forth with the product teams. So what I would ask you is, What advice might you have for somebody who is sitting more heavily, maybe on the community side of that whole Mm -hmm. conversation to build better bridges with product management and kind of orchestrate that magic that you're already, you know, facilitating right now? Yeah, absolutely. So we do have a community team and we have a go-to-market lead. So I work with them a lot on these questions and like collaboration. And so I would say the first thing, especially for community managers, leads is like really knowing your audience, right? Like kind of understanding your community, who's there, like what that segmentation looks like, like what are the types of of people in your community? Like how do you break them down or think about maybe the different personas who are active in the community? Um, And really like knowing that need can be this like amazing collaboration point because I, I love our community because for me, it's like this real time data source of here's what's trending on the community, here's what people are interested in, right? And like that information for me is so valuable. Um, So I love going out to the community and just finding out like, what's the topic? And like when we have big launches or releases or firmware updates, like one of the first places you see it hit is in the community. Even before you start to see support cases, you see questions on the community, you know? And that's what that's what I love. So, So that's a great thing where you can offer that kind of knowledge to product teams or to development teams they're always trying to understand the user, the learner better. And so the more knowledge you can offer, like the more collaboration back and forth. Um, and then I guess the, the other kind of obvious thing would just be thinking about like where your community goals or OKRs overlap with the product goals. And so we have a lot of similarities just in terms of reach and engagement. And so we can drive you know people from community into learning and from learning into the community. And so we really want to support those cross links, you know, and so that Everyone on the community understands our learning offerings and and has conversations about them, but also like in our learning, we want to drive people back to the community. So asking questions and having like links out to community threads and and forum posts, right? Of, hey, like, let's go out of the course and discuss this as a group, right? Because the course can only offer so much, right? And then you you add this richness, right? When you jump over to the community and you can have conversations with peers and start to interpret or talk about different use cases, right? So those would be the two things I would look for, like really knowing your audience and like working with the product teams on that segmentation and like being able to offer them insights. And then, you know, thinking about where the goals overlap and where you can really work together to drive success for each other. Yeah, that's really poignant, uh, especially about having goals that uh, you can find some overlap. I think that one of the things I've seen community managers really struggle with is well, how do I talk to sales? How do I talk to product? How do I talk to marketing? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. recognizing that they have their own goals that they're being held accountable for. Yeah. How can you help them achieve those and then communicate in their like in the shared language that you can have with them? So I think that's a really great point. Um Jamie, I, also, if I could oh sorry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go for it, Laura. I was just gonna say a lot of this to me. Um resonates as like feedback loops. Mm. I see this often. I I think organizations or certain teams can do this really well, but I feel this is often an area of opportunity within organizations, right? Because to your point, Chris, you have all this great input coming from the community and maybe you and your team are really great at that feedback loop. But then what's the feedback loop to, you know, the kind of customer facing onboarding implementation folks or back to the support teams or, right, there's all these opportunities, sales. And I think that can be a hard structure to put in place where that 
dialogue is going, you know, two ways and mm. y'all are hearing from not just the community, but an internal team and then that information. So I don't know, how, how do you think about kind of these feedback loops internally within Cisco or do you all have a process that you feel works well to make sure all parties are getting kind of that helpful information that's coming out of the community? You know, is there a structure around that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, something we've been actually working on just the last couple quarters is thinking about like a community insights report, um, hmm. and thinking about like doing a little bit of like sentiment analysis and just saying uh, like, here are the, here are the topics that are trending and here's what we perceive as the emotion. Like people are excited about this or they're frustrated about this and trying to think of that as like, how can we offer this in an ongoing report? Um, and so, you know, we have a dashboard and it's hard to get some of these stakeholders to come visit, but if we can push sure. out that information, <laughs> so maybe, you know, and so we've been trying to like experiment to figure out exactly what this is, but I've been imagining kind of like this, maybe like a monthly or a quarterly insights report um, to get people interested in like what, what's going on in the community, what's trending and what we can know, you know, learn and know about our, our users that way. And then hopefully that gets that engagement, right? Of like, oh, look, look at what's going on in the community. And then starts that feedback loop because we want to start a yep. conversation, right? Like, and then once we get them interested in the community, we have something to offer, then they're going to come to us. And that's where we can dig in and have our questions and say, well, what are you seeing on this, this feature, this product or this firmware release? Like, where, what are you hearing? Is it the same as what we're seeing on the community? Or are you hearing something different in your customer conversations? And that's where you can get that, I think, that loop going. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, I was just going to say, you mentioned, you know, is it the same thing you're hearing in your customer interviews? So I'm going to editorialize for a minute. I think it's absolutely <laughs> wild that we have to convince product managers to be interested in the community. I find that mind-blowing. Like you said earlier, Chris, you have this ready-made source of customer data and even, you know, for public communities, prospective customer data or yeah. for folks who are doing product-led growth, you have free tier customers that are just giving you information for free mm -hmm. on their own mm -hmm. that can help you with conversion and growth and the things that the company needs, right? Yeah. How is it even feasible that we have to think about, okay, how do I convince product managers to be interested in this? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I love that you brought that up and, uh, you know, it it really begs the question, like, how do we, how can we, mm. as people who are trying to make this bridge, how can we get product managers more active in communities? How can we make sure that that this uphill battle of trying to convince them that, that it's worthwhile uh, is, is easier, <laughs> you know, in the long run? Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of an open-ended question for... Mm -hmm. for Profession, but I think, you know, it, it also makes me wonder, you know, how do you take what you've learned looking at the community and convert that into things like prioritizing? You mentioned earlier in the call, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things you're responsible for on the roadmap is how do we prioritize what we build? How does that play a role in your, that part of your job when you're taking what yeah. you're seeing in the community? Yeah, you know, it, it kind of goes back to the theme we were talking about earlier, meeting people where they are. And, you know, we all have a lot going on and we're all busy, right? And so one thing I like to do is go to roadmap, roadmap reviews for other products and attend and just understand what are they thinking about? Like, what questions do they have? You know, what are their hypotheses that they need to validate? And then I look for, okay, where can I help them, right? And then usually I'll attend the, the, the review meeting and then I'll reach out to them afterward and say, hey, there's something you mentioned that I think you know, I might be able to shed some light on or some insight on, do you have 10 minutes to pull up and talk about it? And so then I'm going to them with this very specific offering of, hey, I know what you're interested in because I was in your meeting, right? And, and here's this little tidbit I have from the community that might connect to some point that you're looking for, right? And once we start making those connections, I, you know, you have to do some of that legwork and kind of go out and meet them. But then when you have something to offer, it's like, oh, this is great. Like, I could totally see how these two points connect. And then you know, you start to speak their language and and hopefully get that 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 relationship going because that's what it's all about, right? It's like kind of building these relationships, and so I think it's speaking their language. And I'll be really clear: like um, our learning product management team is only about three or four months old. This is a new concept for 
for us as an enablement department. And a big part of that was we want to speak the language of these other product teams that are all around us. Like we can't have learning a community be this siloed kind of, you know, that structure that is totally different from all these other teams. So we want to be able to kind of operate like them, look like them, speak like them, right? So that we can better engage with them so that we're not this whole different set of processes and thinking like, no, we're, we're trying to align more and more. And the more we can do that, I think the more we can drive those conversations. I love that. Laura, I'm so sorry. I cut you off before. Was there anything else that you wanted to ask or add in that, in that vein? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I just, I love this conversation and hearing how Chris is thinking about pulling in other people. And, you know, it's great that, you've just started this team, it sounds like within the last four months to try and address that very thing of get getting community, getting this feedback more integrated um, mm -hmm. within the organization. How's it going so far, if you don't mind me asking? Like, what's the re reception been and how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I, I think it's been really exciting. Yeah, yeah. like I said, we're in the product org. And so it feels like we've kind of joined the team, right? Like we are, <laughs> you know, like... And, and, the inner uh, sanctum. Yeah, the inner sanctum, <laughs> right, it is. And that's what we talked about. Uh, that's why I, I know one team I asked if I could see their roadmap and they said, well, do you know the secret handshake? <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm like, I'm getting into the, like, at least I'm, I know there's a secret handshake now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know, I, yeah, I think it's going well. So it's, uh, our team is myself. We have a, a UX researcher and learning researcher who's focused on getting to know our learners better. And then we also have a, a data manager as well, who's looking at, you know, OKRs and all the data we have coming in and trying to break that down into metrics that we can really understand and, and use. So yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm a, I'm a bit of a pioneer. I love doing new things in my career. So I've been super excited. Um, in the previous role, I was really focused on like learning development and like processes for learning development teams. So this is kind of a really natural next step for me to kind of zoom out one level from all those, the processes and developing all of the deliverables to thinking more about the why and the what's next on the roadmap. So yeah, it's been, it's been a really fun transition. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited for you. That does sound like a really necessary kind of team and, uh, I'm glad you're excited about it as well. And I hope you nailed the secret handshake. I mean, I have no doubt you did, but <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it's yeah, totally. And it, you know, it's really it's been interesting too because social learning, it's been something I've been really interested in the last few years, really. I mean, when you think about so much of learning is like this kind of like top-down one-way information transfer, whether that's like someone lecturing in front of a group of people or even a course is, is a lot of one-way information pushing. And I'm really interested in kind of bridging that gap with the community of like, how do we get people together and get peers together and like enable conversations, right? Because I think mm -hmm. they can learn something from us, but they can learn so much more from each other, right? And so that's what I think has been excited about thinking about the roadmap and what we can do to get more you know, close and more integrated with the community is how do we drive conversations outside of learning and let people learn from each other, you know? Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And that's one of the like sparks that's been in my head for about six to 12 months now where it's like, okay, before we did just soft pay, well, early days was all instructor led training, right? And then we mm. have self -paid training and we threw in community, but kind of on the support side first. And then we brought it in a little bit into the community learning side and onboarding and all that. And then now I feel like the future is this integrated peer connected learning system or program where you are, you're getting the information, but then you're integrating that into, like you said, peer discussions or, uh, mentoring, I think, plays an important role there as well. And figuring out how to do that well is mm. a code that not many people have cracked yet, right? Yeah. Like, how do we make this all kind of come together to make the learning stick and then make people innovate better because they understand at a more fundamental level, you know, what is the 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 textbook learning that I have to have to then be creative and innovative and come up with new things? Yeah. 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 Oh, go ahead, Jane. Laura. No, it's okay. Um, I was just going to say, I, I hope organizations give people the time and space to do that because 
I think it can be really easy for everyone to be heads down and focus on a task and in kind of this, uh, you know, hybrid and distributed work, you know, that we all are doing. It's a lot more heads down. And I think it, it removes some of the natural occurrences of that connection. And I think people can get so focused in that. So all that to say, I love what y'all are saying. And I just hope that companies see that as a as a valuable use of time and encourage that because I could see that being a barrier to fostering this you know evolution of learning and this really connected and collaborative learning mm-hmm. um, because it it can still I think feel very transactional and I think that can yeah. be a, a pivot so anyway that was my little two cents yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I've been very encouraged. A lot of the recent job postings I've seen at Meraki include some percentage of personal development time, which is learning or mentoring, and they're including that in the job descriptions, which to me really shows like, okay, we're, we're bought in on this, right? We're actually allocating the time. Yeah. And I think too, when you think about how many people are now remote and how much has changed in the last three or four years, like can learning and community be this place where we pull people together, right? To have those conversations. Um, and, and so I think, I think Jamie, you were talking about like the movement from ILT to kind of like asynchronous online and like mm-hmm. blending those together. And then I really think of it as like, how can we blend the third piece of community in with that as well? So you almost have all three blended and maybe an example is like, um, you know, you have, you have like a, like new, new, maybe new manager training where you get a cohort of new managers together for a month. Um, and you do some asynchronous online courses, right? Um, and then you pull them together, maybe weekly with like an instructor, but who is more of a moderator, right? So you pull this cohort together and you talk about the learning they did asynchronously. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about all the different perspectives. And it's kind of ILT at that point, but you're really like driving the conversation more than trying to present. Um, and then maybe you have people go off in between those sessions in the community site and continue to engage with each other. like share ideas, comment on each other's ideas, right? And then you do the same thing again next week and you get to know each other. And by the time the month is over, right? You know each other, you've formed all these new relationships, you've had all these great discussions. You can go back to some of the asynchronous learning and then you have this like community of people online that you can continue to kind of lean on and and have these conversations with into the future as well. Yeah, I love that. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, when I was at Mongo, one of the projects I worked on was actually bringing all of the MongoDB university users over into the developer community because they had set up a whole separate forum for them. And it's like, wait a minute, we need, we're, we're going to have an ongoing, we hope relationship with these people. Why are we putting them in this whole separate space when instead we can bring them in and have an ongoing relationship after they complete the course, right. Or as they transition into the next course, we need to be able to use gamification to kind of validate the uh, achievements they've achieved, but also help them build up their reputation, build those relationships. So exactly what you're talking about. And I think you're right that cohort-based learning is the next step. And it's something I've been thinking about is exactly what you're saying. You know, let's have a, a through line of curriculum, but have those Uh, regular interactions that are baked into the program that say, you know, you're not just going to be thrown into a community of 10,000 people. Mm. You're going to be put into this small group where you're going to have repeated interactions with the same people so that you have the opportunity to make meaningful connections that might last longer than that. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think a big part of it as somebody who is very scale oriented, we need to take a step back from scaling in that sense and say, okay, yeah, we can serve learning to 10,000 people or in the case of SAP, like 3 million plus people, right? Or (laughs) we can do it in a more intentional way that actually builds longer term value for those people and for us in the context of those relationships, right? So I think you're spot on there. I think that the, the way that you're thinking about it makes a lot of sense and, you know, really looking forward to seeing where that journey takes you and the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's exciting, too, because this is, I think, mostly considered like an internal model, like how you get people. But we've been thinking 
more of just about like, can we get customers together, right? United around Meraki, like even within big companies, right? Can we go in and find like the 10 or 20 core Meraki power users and who might not really know each other because they're on different teams and different silos of the business and like pull them together in a room and get them talking to each other and be like, oh, we all share this really common, you know, through line, like you said, and this is great. Like now we can connect with each other and we're the power users. And, and so we're just trying to think about how can we bring those people together within an org um, and kind of unite them so that we have this really strong Meraki presence within a company. That's so powerful too. And it's something that SAP did really well for many, many years. They have this program called the SAP Mentors. Mm. And I think a lot of companies try to do this with their advocacy programs, but they skip so many steps along the way to just get really quickly to, okay, now go out and talk great about us. Like tell everybody how awesome yeah. we are. And the yeah. reality is that what you're saying is actually the real value. How do we get those power users to feel re-engaged in the community, to continue to feel like they're learning from each other, to feel like they have something to gain by being there, not just something to give by answering mm -hmm. questions for newbies, right? Yeah. But we're going to do it in a way that makes them feel like VIPs and that makes them have a really strong relationship with us, the brand, and recognize that they can't get that anywhere else, right? That is the, that's the gold nugget of uh, community advocacy in particular, but I love that you're thinking about it in the context of learning as well, because that really is the the problem that a lot of community people struggle with. It's easy to get newbies in because you can just deliver either self-paced learning or peer support, things like that. But it's really hard to keep those super users engaged and motivated to keep mm -hmm. coming back and, and participating. So I love that you're thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also find it very encouraging because, um, you know, you're talking about how you've made this organizational change to build this new team. And I'm actually seeing that in a couple different companies that I've been talking with lately where they're standing up new strategy teams or they're standing up new learning teams or they're bringing the learning teams in closer with the community mm -hmm. and recognizing that those things can't operate on their own, right? They need yeah. to come together to create the actual value. And so my hope is as we move forward, you know, more roles like yours are going to be start appearing and and having somebody whose full-time job really is to facilitate that relationship between yeah. product and the community, between marketing and sales and support and all of those functions that community technically touches, but we are like, no, get out of here. <laughs> we don't, either we don't want you or we really, really want you, but you don't want to be here, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, super excited to see that trend happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation in L&D of how do we you know, move from being order takers to trusted advisors, right? And like you have mm -hmm. to integrate with those teams and have those conversations and speak the same language. You can't be an island off doing your L&D thing. Like if you want to be a trusted advisor, you have to be at the table or be in the room and be part of the conversation. And sometimes like we've been talking about this whole hour, you've got to meet people where they are. So maybe yep. you have to change and, and go towards them a little bit to make that happen. I love that. And what a great note to wrap up on. Chris, thank you so, so much for joining us today. This has been a lovely conversation. Thank you to my fabulous co-host, Laura. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week where we will be having a conversation about freelancing and community and how uh, our guest is building a new style of community for freelancers. So thank you again so much, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Hope you have a fabulous Monday and a great week. And we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Thank great. you. Nice me. to meet you, Chris. Yeah, Bye. Bye.